That's a big crowd. I don't know if we beat 42, but it's, it's pretty close. It's looking good. Happy Father's Day to you. Probably turn that the right way around. Uh, I'm excited to be a dad and a granddad and have most of my family here today. Katie's not feeling well, so if you keep her in your prayers and Christy stayed home with her. We're going to talk today again about money of the Bible, and we're shifting to money of the New Testament, particularly money that influenced the life of Jesus. Uh, and, and hopefully I can bring out some of the details from some of these coins that add flavor and, and interest to the stories that we've all heard many times before, particularly about the crucifixion. And when we look at the money of the Bible, as we shift to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we talked about how there weren't, coins had not been invented until the very end of the Old Testament, the Greeks invented coins. But by the time we open up on the New Testament, everybody is using coins, and that's the, the main thing. Thank you, Kathy, I appreciate that. Uh, that's the main way of trading. But everybody's making their own coins. Everybody has their own standards. Coins are really a way of establishing power. So the Jews, for instance, were not allowed to make silver coinage. They were only allowed to make uh, bronze and brass coinage. When they revolt against Rome, they make some silver coins. That's one of the ways they establish themselves, that they are wanting to be uh, their own nation. Rome comes in, of course, and eventually crushes them in 70 AD. But we're going to be looking at earlier than that, mainly concerning the life of Christ, and particularly towards the end uh, of the life of Christ. This is what's known as the Pilate Stone. It was found in Caesarea Maritima, which is right on the coast of the Mediterranean, uh, in 1961 by an Italian archaeologist. And up to that point, people had criticized the New Testament and said that uh, the Bible gets Pilate's title incorrect, uh, but then on this stone that was found, it in fact says what his title is, and of course it matches that uh, with the title that was used, Pontius Pilate, Prefect of Judea. So he was a procurator of Judea. He was essentially governor, the Roman governor of that territory. Uh, Pilate was not a very nice person. I know you may be shocked to, to learn that, uh, but history does talk about him a little bit outside of the Bible. He was a skilled politician, and he held the office of procurator or governor of Judea for about 10 years. Uh, he was more intolerant of the Jews than other governors of Judea. And we get that through a couple of stories that are relayed through Josephus uh, and others, that he was re just really not very uh, nice to the Jews. It's, it's almost like they sent him to Judea to punish him, to have to be the governor of a people that he didn't really care for uh, very much. And when he arrives, he brings these Roman standards that have images of the emperor, images of their gods. He carried them into Jerusalem. Uh, this caused quite the stir uh, with the Jews who don't allow any graven images. He then hung up shields on his palace in Jerusalem that had images and names of different gods and goddesses written on them. 
Uh, and they were only removed when Tiberius sent him an order commanding him to do it. So they complained about these shields being on here where everybody could see these images in Jerusalem, of course, the holy city. Uh, and all the Jews complained about this, and he refused to take them down. They sent all the way to Rome and waited for the answer from Tiberius, and Tiberius commanded him to take them down. Luke 13.1 also gives us a little bit of clue uh, about him. Some think this refers to this guy named Judas, uh, who would not acknowledge the Roman government. Pilate's soldiers came in, surrounded, and killed them while they were sacrificing uh, at the temple. So he was not a very nice person. We get that uh, over and over again. Other Roman procurators, if you look at their coins, uh, they're pretty nondescriptive. You've got like a, a grain here and a palm tree, a palm leaf, and some general writing just establishing Tiberius is Caesar. Or, or whoever was the Caesar of that particular uh, procurator. But that's not true under Pilate. While Pilate refrains from putting images of gods or goddesses on his coins, he was what's called an augur. He was a person who went to the College of Augury, and he learned how to be an augur. And what does that mean? Well, it means that he would try to predict the will of the gods and goddesses based on things like the flight of birds, uh, the clouds, uh, dreams, things of that nature. Uh, and, and he truly believed in this. Uh, of course, this was very different than what the Jews believed, and they were very uh, not tolerant of this belief at all. And Pilate actually puts things on his coins that are representative of this religion, of this augury religion. It was very important to him. Uh, and what's interesting about this is on these coins, where he puts these images of augury, they come into play during the trial of Jesus. The first thing we have is a simpulum. That's this dipping cup for water. And it's a ritualistic thing. This is kind of a judgment seat where we see Pilate. Uh, this one was found in Pompeii after, of course, the, uh, the, the volcano. And so everything's very well preserved. And you'll see that on this judgment seat, you've got a bowl, you've got a pitcher for water, and you have a simpulum. You have this ritual dipping cup for the water. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude. So what he is doing when he's washing his hands in front of the Jews is he's trying to purify himself before his gods and goddesses. He's, he's trying to say, look, I'm not responsible for this innocent man's death. They're forcing me into this situation, and I don't want to anger the gods. So I'm going to use this simpulum, this ritualistic thing with this ritual basin of water, and I'm going to wash my hands, showing that I'm clean before the gods. Uh, that's what he's attempting to do, and that comes out on his coins. On the other two coins of his, they have a lettuce, uh, and it kind of looks like a pea for Pilate, but it's not a pea. It's actually a lettuce. This is an ancient device 
that was used by these augers. Uh, and you can see that on the base, it kind of has uh, almost a hammer. And that's how they used it. They used it to kind of look official. This is, by the way, where we get the idea of a magic wand, uh, because these augers would use these and wave them around before making their pronouncements. And when they'd make their pronouncements, they'd, ba- they'd pound that on that platform to bring everybody to attention. So they might read the entrails of a sacrificial animal. That sounds lots of fun, right? They're going to look at its intestines and, and try to predict, predict the future based on that. So they'd kill the animal, they'd look at this, then they'd wave this lettuce around, or simple, yeah, lettuce, lettuce around, and then they'd pound on it, and then they'd make a pronouncement. And they looked very official doing it. It goes all the way back to Egyptians uh, who used very similar uh, items. So this is an ancient thing that they would do. Uh, it helps them look official. We see here is the auger. He's got this lettuce right here where the sacrificial animal is. This, this shows up on coins all the time. It says, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Uh, This, I think, is something that when we read the story about the trials of Jesus, we kind of miss this detail. But it's an important detail to Pilate. Pilate would have been scared by this because he believed in augury he believed in these dreams uh, and her coming to him and saying look i had some bad dreams about this guy don't mess with him that comes out on his coinage that he would have taken all that really seriously he would have been terrified that he is going up against a real son of what he would have considered a god and Of course, he was, in fact, sentencing the son of the true and living God. Uh, Emperors and others in power use these augers uh, all the time. It is where we get the term inauguration, uh, because every time somebody would come to power, if there were any kinds of signs in in the heavens, if there was a, a comet or anything like that, it's going to appear on the coins. And we see over and over again them using lettuce and simpulums and those being the things that they they talk about on their coinage, essentially saying, look, the augurs have said, I'm going to be a good emperor. Uh, And the way they would do this when they were about to take on that power, where they were going to be the emperor or some kind of procurator, they would go to the augur and they would pay him money to read the entrails of animal or the signs of birds or whatever it was. Well, the more you paid them, the better auger you're going to get, right? You're going to get a little better reading. And people took this very seriously. If they gave you a bad reading, it could end your career. uh, And you couldn't take on that role. So they were very serious about keeping these guys well paid uh, in order to get good readings from them. And I think the coins of Pontius Pilate kind of give us a deeper sense of that uh, and add to the character of of the story that we find and the authenticity of the story that we find uh, in the New Testament. I do have some coins up here for you to take a look at afterwards. One of them is, or maybe a couple of them, are coins of Pontius Pilate. 
So you can take a look. And these are real uh, 2,000-year-old coins that are up here for you to take a look at. It doesn't mean I'm independently wealthy. Uh, it means that at one time I was a coin dealer. Uh, and, frankly, they were a little bit cheaper 25 years ago when I was doing that. Uh, I used to buy large amounts of coins, and then I would keep some, sell the rest of them, and try to make a little bit of profit to buy more coins. Uh, and that's how I accumulated this collection. Uh, but, yeah, so you can take a look at these uh, afterwards. Money also was involved in the whole life of Christ. Uh, it triggers and marks his death. And when I when I say that, I mean, look, he starts out his ministry by going in in John 2 and cleansing the money changers. He goes into the temple and he's, he's flipping over the tables of these people who are selling sacrifices and exchanging money. People had to pay the temple tax. And when they do that, uh, they had to do it in a shekel of tire. And to do that, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait and talk about it in a second. But first, before I get to that, also when he was tempted, when he was tested by people, they used coins doing that. With like Tiberius in Matthew 22, 19, they say, should we pay taxes to Rome or not? And he says, show me a coin, right? This is the coin that he did that with. And I have... Uh, one of the copies of it up here, probably not the exact one that Jesus held, uh, but one that's 2,000 years old. It's a coin of Tiberius, a denarii. And he says, whose image and superscription is on here, right? And they say, the emperor, Caesar. And he says, well, render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Render unto God what belongs to God. In other words, it doesn't really matter paying taxes to Rome. That's not what's important. What's important is your service uh, to God. So this attempt to trap him is because that coin represented Rome. Of course, uh, there's this disputed line of high priests that's in charge in Jerusalem right now. It's the true high priest is, is not really the high priest that Rome has established. Uh, they wanted somebody on there who would be sympathetic to Rome. They established a sympathetic king uh, who was not a full Jew, the Herods, a puppet king over the Jews. Uh, and they upset the biblical structure of the temple. And this coin violates the second commandment uh, twice. It deified, uh, yeah, deifies the emperor and puts him on there and his mother on the back, showing two different images of two different people, which violates of the second commandment. And he does the same thing at the end of his ministry. He goes through and cleanses the temple again in Luke 19:45 through 48. Also in the last week of his life, we get the the poor widow's mite. Uh, people are always impressed, I think, with seeing a widow's mite, which I have uh, one up here for you to take a look at after. But I think people are so impressed by seeing those because that story really resonates with us, doesn't it? Uh, and he uses this opportunity of her putting in two mites, which are the, the smallest and cheapest coin that was available, uh, worth you know less than a penny uh, in terms of metallic content. And yet he said she put in more than anyone else. 
everyone else is going to be putting in these shekels of tire that I talked about a moment ago. And you can see, of course, these are violating uh, the commandments as well. These were used and were, were the only coins that were allowed to be used to pay the temple tax. And that is because they were very high-grade silver. You're talking like 95 96% silver, which is, is very high-grade for the ancient world. That's the coin that they wanted. They, they said, well, you should only give the best to God. And so we're only going to allow these coins to be used to pay the temple tax. So if you come to the temple and you have other coins, you have Roman denarii, you have... Uh, some of those widow's mites, you were expected to exchange that for a shekel of tire. And then you were immediately going to put the shekel of tire into the collection plate. So that those just rotated, right? They would get pretty much all the shekels of tire were in the temple. You couldn't get them outside of the temple. You would have to go and exchange the money, and they would charge you extra for getting those coins. It wasn't a fair trade rate. It's kind of like when you go to, you know, a, a festival. Maybe you go to the Renaissance Fair, and you're thirsty. And they say, well, you can't bring anything in here, anything to drink, and a Coke's $9, right? It's kind of the same thing. Or you go to a ball game, right? You don't expect the Coke to be 50 cents, right? It's going to cost you uh, extra because they know they've got you trapped there. Uh, it's kind of that same thing. Jesus needs to go into the, the ball game and flip over the, the money changers, I guess. But... Uh, this coin comes into play quite often, and I have one of them up here, Shekel of Tyre, uh, up here. It's right here. Uh, and you'll see how it's larger, and it's, it's made of silver, and it's nicer than all the other coins. Uh, it's the coin from the miracle of the fish's mouth, which is when they asked Jesus to pay tax, and Peter's like, yeah, of course he pays tax. We pay tax, right? And he asked Jesus. Uh, and Jesus says, go go cast into the, the lake and, and you'll bring up a fish and that coin will be in its mouth. It's an unfinished miracle in that we don't see it completed, but this would have been the coin that would have been fished up out of the fish's mouth to pay the temple tax. It is the coin that Judas has paid when he's paid the 30 pieces of silver. It is also uh, what is used to buy the field, of course, since it was the same coins. And it's the same type paid to silence the guards after the resurrection when they try to get them to change their story. Uh, They pay them, they bribe them. I want to talk to you a little bit about Herod the Great as well and his coinage and how that that plays into some of the the Bible. Uh, Herod the Great is is known as Herod the Great not because he was necessarily great. Uh, it's more that he was a great architect. He's, he's known for building great structures. Uh, one of those was his remodel and expansion of the temple complex, which if you go to the Temple Mount today, of course the temple has been completely wiped out. But the western wall, sometimes called the Wailing Wall, that was a retention, a retaining wall that he put, that Herod built, and it's still there. Uh, that was to support the weight of the extra structures that he built on the Temple Mount. Uh, so that is still there, and you can view it today. He also built uh, Caesarea Maritima, which is a port on the Mediterranean. Uh, there is a large hippodrome here. This is for chariot races. 
There's a large amphitheater here. Uh, and then right here was his palace and giant swimming pool, which he definitely needed in the Mediterranean. Uh, and just as a side note, later, uh, much later after Herod is dead, Paul is kept prisoner right here. Uh, there's jail cells here underground. And that is where Paul was kept as a prisoner. He also built Masada, which is a palace that he built as a way in case ever, anybody ever revolted against him. Uh, he was going to go to Masada and be completely safe from everybody. He had this huge water supply uh, that was there in the middle of the desert with no other water around anywhere. Uh, and it's essentially an impenetrable fortress. Uh, it's not known if he ever even went there, but he had it built in case the Jews ever revolted against him. He could get there and be safe. And he built the Herodium, which is just outside of Jerusalem, which it wasn't the tallest mountain in the area. So he had other people bring in dirt to build it up so it would be the tallest. Then he put a palace on top of it, and he built his tomb uh, on top of it. So he was known for building large structures. And he had his own coinage. Now, we already talked about the second commandment, which is, of course... You should not make any graven image or any likeness of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or there's the water under the earth. And of course, no images of any, any gods. So they're not supposed to make any images of animals. And for the most part, Herod, when he makes his coins, he follows that rule. He does things like, here's a helmet, uh, here's another helmet, so, showing he's a great warrior, here's a, a flower, things of that nature, but on the smallest coin and on the back of the smallest coin, he puts an eagle. So he violates the second commandment, and he must have thought to himself, well, it's just the smallest coin. Uh, it, it doesn't matter that much, and it's going to give Rome, which their symbol, of course, is an eagle, uh, it's going to kind of nod to Rome that really all the power lies with Rome. It also is talking about this eagle that he had placed at the entryway to the temple in Jerusalem. Now, how do you think the Jews felt about that? They didn't care for it at all, right? So you're essentially putting uh, an image, a graven image of an eagle, which represents Rome, over the holy place, right? Uh, they didn't care for that too much. And as we see... We're going to take a look really quickly at Herod's family tree. He had a whole bunch of wives, uh, up to ten wives. We don't know the names of some of them. This is a different Cleopatra than the famous Cleopatra that you're aware of. Uh, but he had several wives. But these are the three most important ones because they had children that are talked about uh, in the New Testament. And of those, of course, you have Archelaus, Antipas, uh, Aristobulus and Philip. Now, we see in Matthew 2.22, after Herod dies, surprisingly Archelaus is on the throne. It says, but when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Notwithstanding, being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside into the parts of Galilee. That's Matthew 2.22. And that was a surprise because Herod had had his other son, who was supposed to take over, 
as Herod is dying in the last couple of weeks, he's in pain, and his son thinks, you know, I think I could be emperor or, or king over this, this area. Herod has him killed, his own son. Uh, and so his other son takes over. And what he thinks is, you know what I'll do? The Jews heard that Herod died. And so the Jews rush into the temple. They stir up the youth. And they have that eagle taken down. They tear it down. They break it with hammers and axes. And they, they melt it. So they utterly destroy this eagle that represents Roman power. Archelaus says, you know what I'll do? I'll go in and I'll kill a whole bunch of people in the temple complex. It doesn't have to be the same people that tore the eagle down, but I need to make a statement of power. Uh, so that's what he does. He kills about 2,000 people over this eagle getting torn down. So you can see that even putting an eagle on your coin and then putting an eagle just as a, a nod to Rome over the temple, it leads to all sorts of terrible things. We also see that these people, of course, uh, they're all named Herod, by the way. It's all Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, Herod Archelaus. He named, he's like George Foreman. He names all of his kids uh, after himself. Uh, Herod Philip, which is mentioned in Luke 1, actually puts his own image on a coin which and a Greek temple on the back, uh, which is, is somewhat shocking, even to Rome, uh, for him to take that step. And the family tree gets a little bit crisscrossed here. Uh, it gets a little bit complicated. Aristobulus has Herodias. That's his daughter. He, she marries Philip, his half-brother. right? She, divor- she has Salome with Philip. Then she divorces Philip and marries Antipas. Okay? Is that clear as mud? So... Uh, so she mar- she divorced one uncle and married another uncle. Yeah. Here in uh, in my world, we call that gross, right? <laughs> so uh, that causes all kinds of trouble for John. Salome is the one who dances for Herod, of course. Uh, so John condemns this marriage, and the reason is because her former husband Philip was still alive. She had no right to divorce him. Antipas's wife was still alive, but he divorced her to marry uh, Herodias. <laughs> they even named the girls after Herod. See? Uh, and then Herodias was his brother's wife. And then, as it should be, you're forbidden for marrying your niece because it's gross, right? And you shouldn't do that. And that's exactly what happened. So they put him in prison, and that leads to the death of of John. Herod Antipas, who did that, of course, had John killed in Matthew 4, and Jesus refers to him as that fox in Luke 13. And this is the Herod that Jesus is sent to um, by Pilate. So you think about the trials of Jesus. To me, when he goes before Herod, this Herod, who had John killed, who was such a, a slimy, gross guy, right? And this is the one who wants Jesus to do a, a magic trick for him. He wants to see a miracle. And you, you wonder, why did Jesus just stand there mute? Why didn't he defend himself or say something? I think part of it, uh, certainly part of it was to fulfill Scripture. 
But part of it, too, was he would have been very tempted to do a miracle, all right, right, and show Herod something. This is a, a very bad person. Uh, and I think during all the trials, this is when Jesus was tempted very, very greatly uh, by this, this Herod. We get his coins. Uh, we have several coins of Herod Antipas, but this is the best known. And, of course, he puts Tiberius, T-I-B, E on the back, giving to Rome. And there are two coins of Salome. So you can see what a looker she was. Uh, and you can see why maybe when she danced that, that encouraged him to kill uh, or to fulfill her wish to kill John. Uh, but those are the only two known. I don't have a coin of Salome. They're very rare. Uh, those are the only two, two known copies of it. I wanted to talk to you today, too, uh, about one other form of money, which is a talent. Now, I have one, but I didn't bring it. And I didn't bring it because it weighs 75 pounds. And I'm getting old, and carrying 75 pounds is kind of hard now. Uh, But I had one made out of metal. Uh, It's just made out of steel. And it's the largest weight of metal among the Jews, we see it being used throughout the Old Testament. Usually they use talents when they talked about payments made by governments. Because, as you can imagine, it's a, about 75 pounds. 75 pounds of silver is a lot of money, right? Uh, the Egyptians had said it. It's the weight of one cubic foot, cubic foot of water was a talent. It's between 65 and 85 pounds. We usually average it to about 75. It's worth 3,000 shekels or 15 years of salary. It's used by countries such as the Assyrian kings who purchased friendship for a 1,000 talents of silver. And we get the two different parables of the talents. And I want to talk about those as, as we close uh, this morning. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus talks about this master who gives three different servants uh, talents. Sorry, I didn't realize that did that. Nope. Go back. There we go. He gives different amounts to different servants. He gives one, one talent, he gives one two, and he gives one five, right? What I want us to understand is that sometimes we don't think of it like this. But the one who was given one talent was given a lot of money. That's 15 years' salary. Not only that, I didn't bring my talent today because it's a lot of trouble to move a 75-pound weight somewhere. Well, what did that man do? He took that talent and he went and hid it. I want want you to think about that. There was a lot of work involved in doing that, right? Right? The other two took theirs, they traded with them, and doubled their money and brought it back to the, to the master. But the one who went and hid it, he had to do that by himself. You can't just trust anybody to, to take 15 years worth of salary and go hide it, and they're not going to come back and dig it up when you're not looking, right? So he had to do that by himself. Sin is, is sometimes work. That's why it says that the wages, the payment for sin... Is death. That's Romans 6.23. Also, sin can be doing something and not doing something, which is the case, both of the, is the case here. When talking about 
uh, I'm sorry, sin can be doing something or not doing something. God made an investment in us by paying with Jesus, with Christ. And he expects a return on that investment, right? Then there's the second parable of the talent. And in Matthew 18, 22 through 35, it talks about one man who owed a whole lot of money, right? A whole bunch of talent, 10,000 talents of silver. And he says, well, forgive me my debt. You know, give me some time and I'll pay it off. And he says, I'm going to forgive you of that debt. Think about how much 10,000 talents is, right? I didn't even want to bring one of them here today because of the weight of it. But 10,000 is more weight than we could ever bear, right? Then we're talking about somebody else's debt to him, somebody else sinned. It's only a hundred denarii, so it's still over three months' salary, but it's not nearly the weight, and he wasn't forgiving of that. When talking about our sin against God, it's it's like this millstone that's tied around our neck. It's this weight that we can't possibly bear, and yet Jesus paid that price for us. He was able to bear it and pay that Price, this price that we could never possibly afford to pay. 10,000 talents of silver is what it's equated to, this idea of this, this insurmountable amount of money. And we look at coinage, it's interesting to me that over the next few hundred years, Jesus dominates coins. He's on all of these different coins because people wanted to be associated with, with Jesus and different kings have him crowning them and things like that on his coins. They also had these coins of crosses with the steps coming up to them. Uh, and it's similar to the steps that, that we use today. You have to hear the gospel, right? You have to hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and has the power to take away sins. You have to repent, that is, turn away from your sin and agree that you're going to walk in the light as he is in the light. You have to confess Christ before men, and then you have to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. If that's the case for you this morning, if you need to obey the gospel, we would encourage you to do that. But if you've already obeyed the gospel, and you've fallen away, there's another coin that has three steps. Those steps are to repent, but as to turn away from your sin, confess that sin, that's 1 John 1, 9, and we will pray with you and for you for the forgiveness of that sin. If either one of those is the case for you uh, this morning, please don't leave here lost. Make it right uh, as we stand and as we sing.